this Hallmark Quality Control. Hello and welcome to another episode of Hallmark Quality Control. I'm Morgan. I'm Reagan. And I'm Ansley. Today we're taking a look at episodes two and three of One Calls a Heart season two. And um, the two episodes uh, together were called Heart and Soul. And because there was so much back and forth between uh, what was going on in Hope Valley and what was going on in Hamilton, um, I'm going to try to summarize first kind of the action in Hope Valley and then um, what was happening in Hamilton. Um, In Hope Valley, Jack returns without Elizabeth and is greeted by Rosemary. He tells her it's too soon to know if Elizabeth's mother will recover, so Elizabeth has stayed behind. Lee gets business rolling and offers jobs to men in town, where we see tension between the miners and the newcomers. Rosemary irritates Abigail by helping at the cafe, but removes herself so that Bill Avery, who's headed out of town, can say goodbye to Abigail. Abigail boldly says she hopes that absence will make their hearts grow fonder before they share a smooch. A con man comes to town to sell Bibles, and Florence jumps to the conclusion that he's the new preacher, though he immediately attributes random sayings to the good book. Gowan re-offers to help Lee run his business, and Lee refuses, even in the face of Gowan's threat that um, Gowan will now be Lee's enemy. Jack wears the latest from Modern Man Fashion Magazine while building the new church with the assistance of Lee and his men. In the cafe, some minor guys being a grump, pulling a gun on other guys for flitting with Abigail, and Abigail now insists that all the men must leave their guns at the door before they have dinner. Um, later, Nora Avery, Bill's wife, shows up at the cafe and speaks threateningly to Abigail. Meanwhile, Bill's making a shady business deal with a couple of weirdos in modern suits. Gowan, um, back in um, Hope Valley, starts to make moves, and apparently the mayor is in deep debt to Gowan and has misused public funds, so Gowan threatens his health and forces him to step down. Later, we find out that Gowan, as the head of the town council, will serve as the interim mayor, a role that apparently lets him do whatever he wants. Mary Dunbar is going to marry Mr. Graves in the saloon, and Rosemary oversteps while helping them plan a shotgun wedding for that very afternoon, during which the real Frank Hogan walks in. They let the con preacher off the hook and let him go for no reason, and then Jack smirks at the couple on the dance floor, and we can only assume that in his mind he's hoping he and Elizabeth will hear wedding bells of their own someday soon. After the big day, Abigail plans a trip to Hamilton to check on Clara. Two guys come all the way to Hope Valley to cast Rosemary in a musical in San Francisco, and Sweet Lee is disappointed to see her go. Turns out these two casting agent guys are actually kidnapping Rosemary on behalf of another guy who thinks she took box office money, which Jack figures out and then comes to rescue her. They're stuck in the woods overnight, and Rosemary tries to figure out why it didn't work out between the two of them, awkwardly grabbing his hand at one point. Frank seems to be trying to convince Lee to believe in God again. He also suspiciously asks Jack to build a cabinet with a lock inside the pulpit. Rosemary makes a grand entrance when returning back to town with Jack as though it were a parade or a performance. And as luck would have it, a diesel mechanic just happens to show up in town um, to fix the uh, machine that is going wrong with Lee's sawmill, and we might see Lee in church again on Sunday. Meanwhile, in Hamilton, Charles and Elizabeth flirt in the garden, where he's carved their initials in a tree years ago. Julie irritates Elizabeth with her fanciful romance ideas and wants to be a sister-in-law of Elizabeth as well as sister by marrying Jack's brother, Tom. 
Charles and Elizabeth take a generous basket of canned carrots to a charity <laughs> event. Her whole family not so subtly tries to push them together. Charles's doctor friend has the quick solution to cure her mom. Turns out it was bad medication the whole time. Charles throws a white tie picnic on the floor in Elizabeth's house where he tries to discern her motivations for heading west. She says she went west to find answers about herself. Later in the week, Elizabeth eats off Charles' spoon at dinner with Lionel and Viola, who announce they're engaged. The Thatcher girls share a tango with Charles, which somehow manages to feel like the most scandalous moment of the show thus far. When Abigail arrives in town, she stays with the Thatchers, and they help her look for Clara. Bill is the agent assigned to help on the case, and Abigail lets him have it over Nora's visit. Clara is working off debt for a, lo uh, for a loan shark and refuses to let Abigail help her, but Bill basically threatens to ruin Clara's boss or run Clara's boss's name through the mud if he doesn't release her, and that gets the job done. So Abigail Yay. invites Clara to come back with her to Hope Valley. Julie and Tom sneak into a senior center dining room to share another scandalous tango. <laughs> this is the second secret meeting of theirs. Elizabeth, in spite of showing no signs of missing Jack while flirting with Charles, insists she misses him very much. Elizabeth tells Charles she's heading back west, and he still holds that hope that she'll find her way back to him. Her parents try to convince her to stay, but she insists she needs to go back. Charles then built bids a sorrowful goodbye to Elizabeth as she, Abigail, and Clara board the train for Hope Valley once more. So that is a summary of these two episodes here. What are our opening thoughts about these two episodes, ladies? I dislike Elizabeth very strongly <laughs> at this Tell point. Tell us how you really feel, Reagan. <laughs> so it's like she and Charles are flirting in the garden flirting on a picnic flirting at a restaurant you know it's just like they flirting while taking a little basket to somebody it's like you are a grown woman who We're was just kissing, friends. who was kissing with some other guy two weeks ago talking about how ooh, you're the one <laughs> you're the one for me and all of this comes to town and is apparently oblivious that this guy is has he has some he has some kind of intention and yeah they were old friends but friends when you're kids is not the same as friends when you're adults and she's flirting with him the whole time mm -hmm. she's making little googly eyes at him and and smiling and giggling yeah, which is just really hard to take she's eating off his spoon at a public restaurant and she's at first she's like no i don't think so he's like no really i insist I'm like what is <laughs> Eat this what cherry is this? jubilee <laughs> can she it's really, heavenly. Can yeah, she it's really not know no. that this guy is so into her? She has to know. She has and then to Abigail's she loves like, the attention. You know, are you missing Jack? Like, maybe you should be missing Jack because Abigail sees what's happening here. Everybody, Everybody sees what's eyes. happening here. She's not blind. <laughs> and then Elizabeth's like, oh, I miss Jack very much. You have not mentioned him. The whole time you've you been going on a little picnic. You there. haven't written him a letter. Exactly. She's like, oh, I miss Jack so much. I'm but, just missing but so not, much. But not enough to write a single letter or send a telegram or go home. Like, you, you like, do so. Okay, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She, like, the end of this, of episode three, Charles is about to, like, say something at the train station, right? And she's sort of, wait, Charles. 
Some things are better left unsaid, which proves that she knows she's known the entire time and she doesn't care. She's okay with stringing him on. She likes the attention. She likes the flirting. It's part of her comfortable I'm a city Hamilton city girl socialite routine. And she's then she's just going to waltz away whenever it's convenient for her. I mean, do you remember back in when Julie was visiting in Hope Valley, days we try to forget, but when Elizabeth was acting all just scandalized at the whole Tolliver gang situation and everything and like, share a kiss, I could never, you know, and just like, just like she had no experience with you know, flirting with men or being in a relationship whatsoever. I'm sorry. She is way more She almost passed out when he had dinner with her that one time when he arranged dinner. I know. It's like you've been this way with Charles in the past, surely. Can I just... And... Can I just say... (laughs) Go for it. Charles... Charles is such a... He's such a stiff. Like, it's so bad. He was like... (laughs) They had that picnic on the in like on the the like near the fireplace at Elizabeth's house, and Elizabeth was sort of, what will the servants think? And then they're having this whole discussion about why she moved west, and he's like, she's saying things like, you know, we can do things for ourselves, and he says, you don't need servants. How revolutionary! You've always been a revolutionary. <laughs> Come on, Charles. And then they, when she, he, she's standing at the window, you know, towards the end of the episode, and she just turns and looks at Charles, which, why is he always at their house anyway? He is always at their house. He's always standing in the doorway outside of the room that Elizabeth's in <laughs> yes, at all he's times. Stalking her. Stalker. But she just turns around and they look at each other, and it's like it immediately, we turned into a soap opera. The piano music came in, there were glow lights. It was a close up of dun, Charles. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun. And he's, you're leaving, aren't you? Like, I have to go back. Like, they just. <laughs> Although, okay, so since we're talking about the picnic, though, um,. How stupid, well, it's not stupid. It's just not the answer I would have hoped for. It's like, why Why did you go west? She's like, just because I had just questions about myself. It's like, okay, I thought this was about helping people who are in need, you know, that you were give, able to serve and give in a community. But it was. it's all about self-discovery, mm-hmm. apparently, for her and not about the selflessness. But I think the aunt, too, said something about how she lives without a cook or whatever. Everybody act like it was like, what? What? You have to You have to cook? You, <laughs> how you, do you survive? Nobody does that for you? How do you survive? <laughs> like, I don't know, like the other, you know, 85% of the world does, you know? Yeah. I know, either they think very little of her and her ability to survive on her own, or they just literally are so far removed from actual life that they just don't understand cooking and, like, normal things. So small-minded. Charles had never eaten fried chicken until they had this picnic. Can we just acknowledge that? He's he's never (laughs) eaten fried chicken. They don't serve that with the cherry jubilee. <laughs> I just was like, how unreal can we get? I mean, and that whole like, oh, we need to take a charity basket for Charles's mother's 
But there were just a bunch of cans of carrots and soup. Yeah, it's like there was really, just nothing was special about that basket. Scarf Elizabeth just wanted and to dump on says, somebody. So yeah, generous. Says, oh, you're so generous. <laughs> like you're the most rich family in the like in Hamilton, and you're giving one basket of canned carrots and a hand-me-down scarf. Like, ooh. You mean you you don't you don't think you could I don't know throw like a fresh loaf of bread in there or maybe some vegetables? I mean. Really, Some leftover fried chicken or something. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I you know, I kind of I feel bad for Charles a little bit. You know, he's saying things to Abigail like, "Yes, just our darling Elizabeth, just out there in the West." You know, but he's he's suffering from what I'm going to call uh, Willoughby syndrome. Okay, which is every his love is everyday implied but never stated directly. So, like, the boy just needs to say it out. And Elizabeth really should have had the courtesy of letting him say it out. But he, I'm sorry, he had his chance years ago, right? And he's, like, he's milking this thing and drawing it out. Like, if he wanted something to happen, he really should have said something. But he acts like he's respecting her independence and her her initiative and all of that. It's like, look, can we just get this out there and... Like everybody, yes, we've been also, dancing around this thing for hours. Like, let's just. I think you mean tangoing. <laughs> Ooh, tangoing. Scandal. I would contend that actually it's more Elizabeth's fault that this situation is going on because she, That's in true. her heart, she knows, believes somehow she knows. that she thinks that she that knows. I'm missing Jack and I love Jack and it's all about Jack and I want to get back to him and whatever, but outwardly her actions are showing that Mm -hmm. she's entertaining Charles the way she goes, Charles! (laughs) You know, like, she's flirting with him, she's letting Mm -hmm. him, you know, feel things toward her, pay attention to her, and he, I think, probably knows, okay, if I were to just make some overt move and just be like, Elizabeth, my darling, marry me right now, like, it would not work. The way to get her is to, like, say, oh, come on. We'll just have a picnic on the floor. It's fine, you know? <laughs> like, like, that's how he's going to get her. And so that's the movie. So, he, so I think it's less about him. confusion for being back in town? Oh, she... She she's not even is being a grown woman who can be responsible for her own actions. She is acting like she's not confused. She is acting like inside she loves Jack, but outside she's open to Charles. And so he's not getting any confused signals no. because she's not ever even bringing Jack she up. She has not turned down any of his advances whatsoever no. in any form. She shows scant regard for protecting the feelings of other people or for kind of the reputation mm-hmm. of, of herself by the way she treats them. She's not acting like someone whose affections are engaged elsewhere. Yeah. She's acting no. like someone who's completely open to if Charles wants to court her and spend time with her and take her to fancy dinners, she's just up for that. It's like... And she knows you, that's the whole design of that, her entire family. You mm-hmm. don't think that that is just like a pretty obnoxious thing for you to do? Especially if we compare that to the Jack and Rosemary thing at the end of season one like rosemary Mm -hmm. came on to him hard and he he shut it down for the most part he tried to be like nice and diplomatic but he he didn't go very far he didn't ever pretend like rosemary really had a chance with him now and that is much much nicer behavior 
than we're seeing from Elizabeth right now. She's not returning the favor. Even, not to like get too far into the Hope Valley stuff, but even like this whole Jack rescuing Rosemary, she wants to like talk about what happened and why their relationship collapsed and all that. And even that, I feel like he handled with like some distance. Like he was, she wanted to sort of like clutch his embrace and wear his jacket and all that it's like in a way you kind of wonder if she's still pretending it like maybe she thinks that there's a chance if elizabeth stays that she's gonna get another opportunity although um you know clearly lee is is pretty fascinated but even with that i feel like jack has been pretty clear like this is where my affections are this is where you're you you are feeling whatever you're feeling but i'm telling you like my affections are engaged over here and you need to get used to it yeah and he acts in a way consistent with that so he helps build the school that he's hoping will bring her back and he does that with urgency and when rosemary tries to rehash their relationship and everything Mm -hmm. and tries to plant seeds of doubt in his mind Mm -hmm. about whether elizabeth's really going to come back or not he says no she's coming back she is coming back Mm -hmm. and we're, we're together like in his mind they're together and i thought it was such a sweet moment when he's watching mary uh dunbar and mr graves dancing at their wedding and you like i just really like that scene because you can tell he's watching Mm -hmm. them and he just kind of gets a smirk on his face like he's ready for that with elizabeth like he's hoping for that in the future with her and meanwhile she's you know tangoing with charles and it's and it's like the first furthest thing from her mind to be thinking about him right now. Yeah. And that's just not fair to him. And she really is two different people. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. When she's in Hope Valley versus when she's in Hamilton. Yeah. Biggest question of the episode arc, though. Why in the world did these people have to get married in the same afternoon? I like, know, that, you know They just threw The guy together, stands like, up and announces it in front of everybody. This woman has agreed to be my wife. And then Rosemary's like, I'm going to do this right now right and then everybody is setting it up they're like we're gonna have the wedding right now you know it's Mm -hmm. like okay why why did you want to have that the exact same afternoon like who who made that decision or plan that's so bizarre to me everybody just hung around and they just pulled decorations out of nowhere it's like okay i guess i guess now is okay like maybe the Mary and Mr. Graves were waiting for there to be a preacher and there hadn't been one in town. And so they, you know, know that here now, okay, there's a new preacher. We're ready to get married. Like maybe they've been ready to get married for a while and they're just like, Hey, would you perform the ceremony? Cause we're we're like, we're ready for it. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that would be something that I would maybe think, but also, yeah, they they throw it together really fast. It was a little rushed. Yeah. And I have to just make a comment that the, one of the most awkward lines of dialogue in this episode was when after he pronounces them man and wife and they kiss the little boys like, I have a new dad. <laughs> it just came out of nowhere. It's not like that's a weird thing for him to think I mean, or say or for that to be part of the plot. barely even seen the kid. And all of a sudden it's like, he's saying, he's like, I have a new dad. It was just really out of nowhere. I'm it telling, was kind of weird. I'm telling you, the background noises and like the background acting <laughs> characters coming through in the sound, in the soundscape, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. You have any uh, particular uh, background sayings that you need to bring to our attention? You know, I just, I get that one stuck out to me for sure. Um, you know, I think there was probably a pretty solid gasp when 
will the real Pastor Frank Hogan please stand up? You know, I think there was there was a little bit of gas me at that moment. And then, of course, um, the, the tango, uh, the tango was pretty dramatic and I'm not sure. Anyway, I'm not, yeah, the, but that, that one dialogue line definitely was, that's, I'm going to be tracking that. That tango made me feel so uncomfortable. I don't even want to talk about it. (laughs) I felt like, I just have to say one thing is I felt like he was a chiropractor who was trying to crack her back. It was just the weirdest thing. The way he just, they're, they're just like from one side to the other and, and just, this dude is trying out for a soap opera part. That's what this, that's. I he he has a soap opera part already. (laughs) Like, oh, it's just this is that part. This is that part. This is it. (laughs) So bad. Yeah, that was uncomfortable. Hey, speaking of uncomfortable, (laughs) you know where I'm pivoting, Julie. I think I do. (laughs) Oh yes. Wow. I just don't even know. Like, who? First of all, I think we all can acknowledge that Julie's storyline was the worst part of season one, okay? Although, Julie... That's that's a pretty high accolade. I did think it was funny that... Um, I think it's true, though. She's, like, joking with Elizabeth about, we could be sisters-in-law and sisters. Like, do you hear yourself? <laughs> and then... She just... But I liked that... Every I liked that Elizabeth was like, oh, yeah, just like you were in love with Mr. Tolliver, like... Let's remember mistakes have been made here. Yeah, but also, like, Elizabeth is kind of the middle of the, like, she literally is the middle sister, but she also is the middle Mm. in terms of she's the scandalous one to Viola, but she's the sensible one compared to Julie. Mm. So she's kind of, you know, got her own issues going on there. So sometimes I feel like when she chastises Julie, it's not necessarily always from a place of strength. Mm. Um, But also, (laughs) as per the tango, ridiculous. And every th- every thought on her mind is of f- fanciful romance. Don't you want me to be happy? She absolutely has no reasoning ability whatsoever. She's every a time child. somebody says something to her, she she's like she ignores it. She refuses logic of any kind. I mean, she's she's just literally mm-hmm. awful. She never listens. This to is anyone. the girl it's who bad. swore at the end of season one that she was changed person she was never gonna make such a horrendous mistake again and she's literally making the exact same mistake like not even a month later she's got like the reasoning ability of a cocker spaniel like she just (laughs) she makes she doesn't listen to anything that anyone says i don't know what she finds so attractive about tom probably that he i don't know gets in fights and her parents don't want her to see him it's like really that's how that's deep you're gonna reason. think about somebody that you want to be in love with that's how deep you're mm-hmm. gonna go they meet up well, and, I and also... it's like can i see you again it's like you're seeing her now she's been here for 30 seconds <laughs> like did she come all this way just to like say you can see me another time and then oh, I can't I can't even describe the veracity of your statement about them dancing oh, the senior <laughs> I just looked at that room and I'm like, that is the senior center dining room. I was sitting there looking at it like, what is this? That is exactly what it is. It was a senior center dining room. Just like how um, (laughs) Abigail and Bill were traipsing up and down the stairs of a church basement (laughs) later on when when they pick up Clara. Yeah. We're going low budget for the scenery in the sets 
well, this season. You know, they're, they're spending all that on you know. they're spending all that money on wardrobe for the about five billion dress changes that the Thatcher sisters. Yeah, are going I mean, through. not on the look, mom. Ansley. She's wearing a J.C. Penny Mother of the Bride dress. J.C. Penny Mother of the Bride dresses don't say, are always on sale. Okay, I have to say, Just sometimes I, I did find myself seeing. I saw the mothers shoes several times and i thought i don't know mm. is this hemline appropriate maybe not the hemline i think the hemline was wrong i don't know very much and maybe julie, i watched whoa. too much julie's, bernadette banner but i think the yeah. hemline was wrong julie's julie's hemline looked a little high at times like i know i know where it's modernizing and well she is scandalous that, but, yeah that would that would fit for her it would be great if you just found an outfit that julie actually looked good in <laughs> yeah that's there not a, a dish on the actress. That wasn't it's a dish on the wardrobe. No, it's not it her. Oh, it's not. It was. There's they're just not wrong. putting her in dresses that look right. flattering, it's and true. not dresses that look of the period. Well, it's just that the yeah the dresses aren't of the right time period, and so it just looks really out of place on her. And it doesn't feel like any of the wardrobe was thought ahead for her. Yeah. Like they just picked some random stuff up, and they didn't try to make it fit her, mm-hmm. and they didn't try to make it fit the time period. I mean, I mean, the one dress she was wearing looked like she picked it up from ross dress for less i mean there just is no like i will say her, her wardrobe is really i'll say i think viola's wardrobe has been pretty good but viola's like a stick she is stick thin she's it's like barely in it it's like yeah. they got they have authentic wardrobe for viola <laughs> because she's like a size two or whatever you know and then well, the and mother like, and julie maybe are like curvier or like a larger size they have to get elizabeth custom whatever um yeah. I don't know. I feel like Julie and the mother are always wearing formals around. Mm-hmm. And, like, Elizabeth is often wearing, like, a white blouse with a skirt just to kind of look like have an everyday look. But they just put them in formals all the time. Like, I did they really wear those all through the day? Like, I, it just doesn't seem, I don't know. Something's off with it. Yeah. Hmm. Well, since we were speaking of Julie and uncomfortable things, how about we move to the uncomfortable thing of Bill's wife, oh, Nora, showing Does, up. Did anybody think that Nora sounded like that one lady from Singing in the Rain? Like, the, the one with the annoying voice who, that they have to replace? Like, <laughs> I can't stand him! That's all, that's all I could think whenever Nora was talking. I could not take her seriously. <laughs> I think Reagan was doing an impression of her and had to pinch her nose to get the timbre right. So the nose pinching's key for the for the right <laughs> octave. I mean, that was a pretty gutsy Bill move. Avery. Bill. That was a pretty gutsy move on her. Like, first of all, where does she even like there's just so many questions about Nora and Bill and their relationship. How does Nora even know about this? She just shows I hear you've been spending a lot of time with Bill Avery. You know, like, okay. And you are? Like, there just was there's so there's yeah, just who are you? so many questions about how all of that works. And, and why know, he would lie about Abigail being married. giving it to him. Yeah, okay. I, I like she, when Nora left, she was sort of like, if that man ha- dare show his face here again, believe you me, like, I'm going to have something to say. I liked that. Yeah, she definitely uh, was not wanting his help. But he did help, um, you know, get Clara free. I don't know if, you know, his threats were exactly legal. Yeah. But they, you know, it, it worked. And so now... Clara's, you know, able to, you know, her debt is paid and she's ready to come back as a regular character to Hope Valley. Well, and I, I will say, like, you know, they've, they've, 
they're making some sketchy illusions about Bill all around. And, uh, and yes, who, they are. Who's to say how that's all going to pan out? When he went and talked to Mr. Fletcher, who holds um, Claire's debt, at first I was like, I don't know if Bill's handling this right. Like, he could have been a little more, a little more subtle and, you know, offered something sort of in return or I don't know. But then he, like, bad cop Bill came out and, like, got in his face, you know, and kind of threatened the newspaper story and all of that. I was like, okay, well, maybe he does know what he's doing here. I guess he does have street cred. They want to put <laughs> us on an ambiguous roller coaster of emotions with Bill where it's like, oh, he's the, he's a good guy. Oh, no, wait, he's married. He's a bad guy. Oh, wait, his wife is dead. Oh, he's a good guy again. Oh, wait, his wife's alive. He's a bad guy. <laughs> it's like, I, I think we're probably going to just stay in this ambiguous place with Bill. I'm not convinced that the shady stuff he was doing is actually him doing shady stuff. Maybe it's like an undercover thing yeah. or, you know, he's like, oh, just let me explain about about my wife and all of this. It's like I they are probably going to play middle of the road here, mm-hmm. I think. Well, I'm just not that interested in your excuses. I feel like they're definitely trying to make us feel like he builds a mystery, man of mystery, and are, can we trust anything? Like, he says what's real, what's not. Like, it's... Mm. Yeah, and um, the thing is, like, he's definitely misleading, at the very least. Like, he told Abigail that he lost his wife, but that was only so that he had a sort of an out to say, I didn't say she was dead, I just said I lost her, you know? Yeah. I mean, he just... Yeah. Yeah, even if... Tomato, tomato, in the Bill. End, right. Even if in the end he turns out that he is an honorable dude and they really do have, like, a legal divorce and mm. he really isn't doing shady Which things. Which I don't, or, I don't you think know. they talked at all about... Divorce was not mentioned in these episodes, I don't right. think. Right. We don't know. Yeah. But, like, I'm saying, like, even if everything checked out, he still has been misleading yeah. her. So... Yeah, he, he was deceitful. Like, at best, he's deceitful. And at worst, he's just, he could be a criminal. We just don't know yet. And they're kind of keeping us kind of on a roller coaster with it. Yeah. Um, I did like the comment that uh, Rosemary made. Rosemary was actually pretty supportive of Abigail um, when she found out, you know, about Bill. And um, she said, never commit your heart unless (laughs) there's jewelry. (laughs) Girl, basically, she just said... If you like it, put a ring on it, I think is what that boils yeah. down to. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> I am ha- I'm having a hard time with Rosemary. Mm. I had a hard time mm. with her last She's season. She's a lot. I continue to have a hard time with her because this woman does not know when to step off, and apparently other people are too afraid to tell her when that no is. No one will tell her. I mean, She's Jack kind of will tell her. But... quote unquote, at the cafe, which mm. some of it was actual help, and then some of it was just trying to run it Posturing. for Abigail. And you want to be nice, you know, they're all nice to each other and all this stuff. It's like, okay, has anyone ever told you that you're just obnoxious to be around? Yeah, they're like, back off and I don't need your help. Yeah. And he just somehow finds this obnoxiousness, like, super intriguing and spunky. I'm like, Lee, you're a good dude. I don't know what's going on here with you. I don't know what your preferences are. But somebody at some point has to tell this woman to step off and I want to be there when it happens. I, I did like he, Lee and, and Rosemary had some back and forth, particularly in episode two. And it's something about the, the basket she was bringing to the fake pastor. And he, he offered to like buy it off of her because Florence had, had beat her there, you know, as head of the pastoral search committee. But um, 
<laughs> he says something. Which, why did we put Florence in charge yeah, of why that? We put Florence mm-hmm. in charge never, of never put Florence never. in charge. But <laughs> I like how she, he said something about, like, I have a feeling, like, everything about you is expensive. And she said, but worth it. I think that's just, like, epitome of of uh, Rosemary's view of herself. Like, I'm, I'm high maintenance, but you're still going to love me, you know? But I also think um, in the scene where Jack and Rosemary are sitting around the fire um, on the way back from her being rescued, um, she kind of makes a joke about like, oh, you know, Jack's going to go look for food and oh, I'll take salmon and with Mm -hmm. those little white potatoes, you know. I think that there's a side of her that uses humor to cover up her disappointment. And insecurity. And yeah, she's insecure. She's, She's trying to plant doubts about Elizabeth in Jack's mind. And she's trying to kind of, like, understand and rehash their relationship. And so I feel like she's interested in Lee and kind of intrigued by that. There's a part of her that still hasn't let Jack go. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's some complexity going on. And being an actress, I think all the time she's pretty much putting on an act of, like, oh, I'm up for anything. I'm just super energetic. Mm-hmm. If you need anything, oh, I'll go help at the cafe. Like, mm-hmm. she needs to be needed. And she, you know, I think just covers up her yeah. disappointment instead of really like leaning into that and feeling that um with humor and with just high energy mm. and just throwing herself into everything i mean it's social coping too because she comes in you know from she's she's been a fool essentially these guys came in they talked mm-hmm, up this great mm-hmm. part that they offered her she was blinded by the glitz and glamour leaves town with strangers that turn out to be kidnappers comes back with Jack and then treats it like a parade. Oh, hello, everyone. I'm safe thanks to this brave Mountie and, you know, makes a big scene about it Mm -hmm. because she's trying to protect herself from being, like, the victim in a way that she doesn't like. She's trying to control the way that other people see her. And instead of letting herself be the person who was actually a victim in this scenario, who was taken advantage of and who made a stupid choice. She acts like she's just, she was the damsel in distress. And now this, you know, hero has come and rescued her and it's just a dramatic part. It's a way that she controls Mm -hmm. how other people see her. But hopefully at some point we get to see the Rosemary underneath the Broadway Rosemary. That's like a real human being that has Mm -hmm. vulnerability. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we get glimpses of that at different times. I think even yeah. even just moments, especially between her and Jack, because she can't hide things as much from Jack. Jack has known her too long, what they were like childhood sweethearts, sort of. And even with the gap, the gap where they were broken up and all of that, he probably sees her about as clearly as anybody sees her. And with other yep. people, she puts up this front of, you know, being glamorous and over the top. And um, she, I feel like, I don't know, maybe she's trying for what, why she's having a hard time letting go of Jack is Jack is the only person who actually knows her and not like her persona, which is maybe through her own fault. Mm hmm. Yep. I would agree with that. So uh, as far as other things going on in Hope Valley, um, we have this con man pastor that comes to oh, town, and then so we have bad. the new pastor, the actual pastor that comes into town, looking like he's Marshall Dillon or something. Stylin, um, man, stylin, stylin, black trench Super... coat. Uh huh. Uh huh. So, what do we think of that storyline, and also what do we think of the new pastor, the actual new pastor? 
It hurts me to see Paul McGillan playing a con man all the time. <laughs> yeah. He, I just saw him play I a con like man on The Flash not that long ago. I just, he will forever in my eyes be Dr. Beckett from Stargate Atlantis. Mm. Uh, no, he's a, he's a good actor. I think the girl was like way too over the top all the it's time. It was the writing, though, really. The man, it I was mean, the part. They act, yeah. They act like. He just stumbled in this into. I mean, he stumbled into this scenario where he manages to get his hands on like a lot of money. He just stumbles into this opportunity when he's mistaken for the past for the new pastor, and then they're just like, "Well, I guess we have to let you go since you didn't get away with any of the money." It's like, are you serious right now? Like, they are they trying to make us feel better that Florence misidentified him? as pastor frank and now you know he just went along with it and so it's florence's fault like no he will he willfully deceived other people Mm. he did not you know he did not disillusion them when they mistook him for someone else he participated in that he took people's money he had the intention presumably of getting away with it they're just like well i guess you can just turn over a new leaf and they're like sure that sounds great to us like (laughs) what is this the little happy valley where people who are criminals are somehow not responsible for their actions anymore well i also think they tried to you know have this moment where florence (laughs) goes up to him and says all the widows you know we have we're on tight budgets even with the settlement we got and he's like, oh, they're widows. But, like, he, mm-hmm. so he, he shows a moment there of, like, uh, maybe you guys should just keep, like, half the money, you know? Yeah. Like, he kind of tries it, half-hearted effort to give mm-hmm. some of it back. But in the end, he's going to go through with it. And um, so, yeah, he's wrong, and he doesn't get punished I mean, for it at all. I just feel like he was at least a little bit self-aware, but the daughter was so bad. Like, the right... I was in the writing, and, like, I know it was a gimmick, but when they first arrive and Florence misidentifies them, the daughter's like, we are but humble people of the cloth. It's like, okay, well, technically, he's the person of the cloth, and you're just along for the ride. But she can, you know, you know what? You should marry them. That's a great idea. Let's, like. He is $5. Yeah. You know, I think, honestly, she was probably a writing device, (laughs) because I was thinking, (laughs) well, it really would have been so much better if she wasn't there. But having that the daughter as a character was a way for them to let us into his intentions and motivations mm. and to see the history. You know, they come into town and he's like, okay, remember how, how we did it last time and remember to do yeah. this or that. And, you know, yeah. it was it was so it was the only way that you could get into kind of what he was his thinking. thoughts yeah because yeah. if he was there alone you wouldn't you wouldn't have gotten that i don't know i'm still. not sure that i'm not sure the audience needed that i think there could have been a way they could that they they could have pulled off that and maybe had it be a little bit more of a surprise like the audience knew subtlety is not this right? show strong well, not suit. in this season anyway <laughs> But We've already established that this is a soap opera season. But so. like right from the beginning, when he comes in, you know he's a con, and it, they're just wait, they're just trying to hold off on the delivery of him getting caught. Um, but I, you know, it maybe would have been a little more intriguing if we actually didn't know and we're kind of uncertain. And then I mean, but it was a good moment when the real Frank Hogan comes in, and 
I kind of wish it had been more dramatic. I know Pastor, the real Pastor Frank is a man of the cloth, but I would have liked to see like a a little more aggression, maybe. <laughs> but <laughs> I I was pleased with his level of aggression. I was, was pleased was, that there was aggression. Yeah, that's true. Like this I, is he, a man we're talking about, right? You know, <laughs> right? I thought I thought a promising. He came entrance. in and he was like, "I'm the real Frank Hogan. Yeah. Stand stand aside. I'm performing this wedding. Yeah, get over. I'm yeah, I'm performing this way. But I I you know so far so far I think. The real Frank Hogan, he's, he's, you know, they're already setting up. He's kind of a different man of God. Like, he clearly is a real person of religion. He, but he doesn't, like, go around in his, like, white collar all the time. He's really good at darts. He apparently drinks because he's in the saloon a lot talking to, to Lee and Jack. And there's just, like, okay, he's, this is, like, a, this is, could be a complex person. I have to say, they're... It really does reflect very poorly on the people of Hope Valley that they could think that um, the other pastor was a pastor yeah, after he said all so kinds bad. of different phrases like, you know, well, as the good book says, Rome wasn't built in the day. And it was just like, buddy, like he was just saying all kinds of those things. And most of the people, like if you kind of watch the scene, mm-hmm. sometimes people would react to it a little bit like, oh, does it? But other times he would say something like that and people would just look at him like, okay, yeah, I mean, whatever. It's like, you people, like, there needs to be a man in this town who has some kind of faith that could see through, because this man was so obvious, yeah. like, so obviously Did not Cat actually... Did Montgomery Sunday School teach you nothing? Nothing! <laughs> I mean. So, you know, that was yeah, kind of it really didn't teach you anything. We just gave you a candle, so. Yeah. That's be the true. light. That is true. Be the light. Spread the light. You know, he probably had the real Frank never made it, which why he thought that, you know, he could get away with this when obviously the new pastor would come to town Mm -hmm. at some point. I don't really know. But yeah, it just. I mean, maybe he just got roped into the wedding thing and then they were going to make a quick escape after or something. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of throw in this the really weird suspicious. Oh, he's building. He wants Jack to build a pulpit with a lock in it. Why would he ever want Mm. that? You know, I think that's the biggest thing that they're kind of trying to leave us with, you know, thinking like he's, he's suspicious. And that I don't get why anyone would be suspicious of that. Like the church doesn't have any valuable possessions they'd like to protect from theft. Maybe he has a gold plated, you know, chalice for the (laughs) communion. I don't know. (laughs) I, or, I mean, that money that they just collected for hymn books and yeah, choir robes that are never going yeah. to get ordered. Collected like, a, ton of, a ton of money here. And yeah. what? Like, he can't store that in the pulpit with a lock. And everyone's no, he like. Needs a separate mm-hmm. safe. Which, yeah. I just yeah. have to say. I mean, and when he asked for it, Jack was wearing a three-quarter zip from <laughs> oh my Tommy from Bahama Land's or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean. So, I, so obviously not of mm. the period. And, yeah. I mean, Lee's plaid pants, though, like, you got to be confident. He's styling. You got to be confident yeah. about those. But uh, yeah. I will say I like that they're setting up some more, like, male relationships, though, because when I think back on season one, a lot of the, the stories that had men involved were sort of, like, recovering minors and things like that and not necessarily, like, oh, this is a a main, like, character, townsperson who's going to be integrated into, like, the fabric of the story in a long-term way, which that the guy, I forget his name, the actor who played the fake pastor would be so good in a role like that in this show. But um, 
to have like, oh, we're getting a new pastor and um, to have Lee come into town. I mean, Lee and Jack, you can see like there's some rapport there. Like there's almost like a bromance thing going on there. Like they're clearly getting along and and then Hogan comes and like they're getting along and it well, just is nice like the to, most like, interesting some... character. Yeah. Lee is the best addition this mm-hmm. show ever made i mean i mean i think it's it's providing some they're definitely turning the focus away from the widows right to like Mm -hmm. the town as a whole and the town's moving forward and lee's there to help them move forward and and jack's part of the progress and building the school and then uh you know now i've got this new pastor and it's kind of you know it's feeling like a new leaf i they're they're definitely like turning the demographic a little bit i think we also have this the other most interesting man in town, Mr. Gowan, mm. who is straight up an evil dude in this episode. Yeah. I'm not going to apologize for him anymore. I mean, nope. he just really, he, he purposely knocks uh, a piece of, you know, a glass object over in Lee's office and says, you don't want, you don't want me to be your enemy. And he threat you know, threatens the mayor who apparently has been using, you know, misusing public funds. Uh, what and a loser. What a loser. And, uh, you know, so Gowan manipulates his way into being the mayor. And then we also see um, in this episode that he um, decides that Lee needs a license for his sawmill and for his um, his office. And it's going to be $200 each. And it's all this money. And I really like the line Lee says where he says, uh, should I make the check out to you personally or yeah. to the town? Because you can tell. Lee's I mean, Gowan guts. just gets to do arbitrarily get to do whatever he wants without meeting with the town council or anything. And I'm not really sure why anybody lets him get away with it yeah. when no one in the town wants him. Like, oh, it's in the bylaws that the head of the town... No, so, like, this guy... move up the election. Like, he's an intern. Yeah, let's... Like, right. Vote him out. Vote him out and don't, don't let him have this unilateral power. And, you know, don't pay the fine. And then I guess it would fall to Jack to have to throw Lee in prison over not paying a license fee or whatever. Mm. And Jack's not going to do that when Gowan's obviously corrupt. So well, I just... couldn't couldn't Lee have requested a meeting of the town council and said, what's yeah. an appropriate fee, mm. um, licensing fee to pay for my business? And Mr. It's like Gowan's this one man controls the whole town. Like, yeah, yeah Because that's nobody insane. else has got guts, apparently. Well, apparently. But Lee doesn't say anything. That's And, you know, it's like, okay, he's trying to take care of it on his own. He doesn't need help dealing with his problems but like clearly this is misconduct right i mean gowan's got it out he's trying to you know scratch and claw his way to keep his importance in town everybody knows this is not appropriate everybody knows that they need the sawmill to keep the economy of the town up if lee packs up and moves like this town is in trouble so i think if Mm -hmm. they'd had like a public meeting about it everybody would have been like well yeah clearly that's yeah. Not appropriate, although I'm not sure that would have stopped Gowan anyway, because he... I think it's Gowan Lee's does stubbornness, too. Like, Lee <laughs> Lee is just trying to take care of things on his own mm. and say, I'm not going to be intimi- intimidated by Gowan. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to... Fine. Okay, you're going to slap a stupid fine on me? I'll pay it. Like, but that's it, that's insane. That's literally an insane amount of money yeah. during this time I mean, period. that's like... That's, Lee, that was... It was like $200 per... Per the sawmill and then his office, like that's four hundred dollars, which Clara has been working seven days a week for a year to pay off a five hundred dollar debt. So, yeah. like that's an insane amount of money. Good thing Lee's made of money because apparently he has no problem paying it. Yeah, 
So Lee just decided to to take it on the chin um, and take the Gowan tax and then hopefully that, you know, he wouldn't have any further issue by trying to ruffle anyone's feathers a little bit more. But I think it's interesting. I don't know this, but I I'm kind of get the feeling from Gowan that he so he comes across pretty strong and pretty aggressive in these episodes but I feel like that's maybe if we look at his situation that feels like a blind mm-hmm. like a if we look at, at his real situation here he was very powerful sitting very pretty with the mining company the mining company goes down and he by luck and his own deceitful ingenuity has managed to escape from that essentially scot-free he's still got this influence in this poll but he almost immediately goes to lee and says i think you should hire me on as a consultant he's going around essentially using his favors and intimidating people which is could you could argue is not not always a position of strength he's stooping a little he's using he's using up any kind of goodwill and he's he's threatening people which has the potential and risk for backlash or something like mm-hmm. for Lee to go to the town council and get him removed. He's making a little bit of a of a risky move by calling out the mayor, calling out Lee for these things. This I think this is somebody who's pretty much lost everything that they had. And is kind of desperately trying to just hold on to whatever status and power mm. they can hold on to. And he does that with by calling in favors with his own aggression. I mean, he definitely has even lost any kind of appearance of being a good person in season one. Like, he's not even trying. When he's, yeah. when he's like selling, making that whole business deal with Abigail for the cafe, he's trying to sell it like he's doing her a favor. And I'm just trying to help you out, even like the, with the widows and the houses and all that. He tr- Through the whole first season, he's trying to maintain this, I'm not the bad guy, it's the company, it's the law, it's this and that. I mean, he, like we've totally dropped that pretense. He's doing whatever he needs to do. Yep, I agree. He's he's just all out a bad guy now, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, now we kind of have this antagonism between Lee and Gowan and mm. how that develops. And um, so, yeah, lots of conflict that they kind of threw at us in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but are, any other thoughts on these two episodes before we wrap up? Uh, I have a final thought sort of about, I feel like they're... they're in a true soap opera sense, they're setting up a lot of contrast between um, Viola and her relationship with Archduke whatever from England, right? Which is Lionel. Which is clearly a marriage of convenience for her. Like, she's looking for social status and things that are important to her family. And he needs her money. And he needs the money. And then we've got Julie, who's throwing herself at any breathing man that looks exciting. Like... All right, so we've got kind of the contrast there. Those are like the polar opposites. And then we have Elizabeth in the middle. It's like you were saying uh, earlier, Elizabeth's sort of in the middle of them. And they're setting up this, like, uh, will she go for the Charles, the family choice, who's, like, safe and and socially what's expected? Or will she go for Jack, who maybe is a little bit of a bad boy, which I'm not even sure is really true. But riskier, definitely riskier. Um, or maybe, like, following her heart and being happy, which is Julie's whole mantra, I guess. Um, they're really setting up, they're setting up some dynamics there, but I thought it was interesting how 
Viola was talking about, um, talking ab like about with Elizabeth about marriage and things and, and, or maybe it was Julie comes in afterward and Julie sort of says, well, they don't like Jack, but it doesn't even matter. Just do what makes you happy. And, you know, it's, you'd like to think that they're like, you'd like to think that her parents actually care enough to give her good advice. I'm not sure you could say that in this situation. They're clearly biased towards Charles and anything that's going to make her stay in the area. But generally speaking, you'd like to think that, um, it's good to have parental involvement in that relationship, and I think her parents may may come to have some regrets about how they handle things there. Um, and I guess we'll have to see how things develop, if they develop with Charles, um, how her how her parents react to that. I, you know, I was comparing mentally a little bit to um, the bygone days of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Mm. I think they essentially did the exact same plot in Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, mm -hmm. except they did it w with a lot more gravity and probably better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, th this is like the much less serious, poor, more poorly produced version of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman in, in some sense. It's like, oh, we've got this other, you know, old friend who has this sudden surge of romantic interest when she returns to town to yeah. see her family because her mother is ill. Mm -hmm. She's got, like, a persnickety sister and also a free-feeling a free sister. You know, she's got this rugged man waiting Mountain for her man. Out, out west that she has to decide if she wants or not. They just... I mean, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman was, I don't think, winning any awards, but probably did it two or three times better. Well, than, I think they maybe at least had accurate did. wardrobe, so that mm, probably helped. Yeah, matters, big, you know? big points for wardrobe. But honestly, uh, after watching, this is now the first three episodes that we've covered of this season. Like, I'm going to need a bigger stockpile of caffeine or something to keep me going because... I have my eyes have just been rolling so hard that I just struggled to even watch some of these episodes. The soapiness has just gone off the charts. The the realism of the sets of the wardrobe, it's like that's not consistent or really there. You know, maybe we're introducing some more interesting new characters, but this is too much daytime drama for me. I'm, I'm well, not enjoying know, it. I think a lot of that, um, you know, is coming from the Hamilton side of things. Mm, and definitely. so, um, you know, it's kind of interesting. Where are things going to go from here now that Elizabeth and also Abigail and Clara are all headed back to Hope Valley? You know, will that help it not be quite so well, they uppity ground and dramatic and bad wardrobe? Yeah. I mean. Like, it'll just. But the town, the town looks like it was built with samples behind the Menards. Like, even the town, the main town, like, the railing and just the whole, I, the whole thing. I know. The, the town is a theme park. It's just, yeah. Adventureland. Yeah. Yep, it's Adventureland. But, yeah, I mean, it is, it is interesting to, you know, kind of watch Elizabeth's character develop. But, you know, as you were saying, Ansley, you know, maybe it's good to have some parental influence and I don't think that they're exercising it wisely because mm. they're being a little too obvious about how they're forcing you know kind of oh this is obviously what the family wants we really want you to be with Charles but to be honest Elizabeth the way she behaves in Hamilton needs to be with Charles I agree with them yeah. I think that 
he is the right match for her mm-hmm. when she is back in in Hamilton. And so, you know, she's kind of she's kind of changed back into her city persona. I don't know how hard it will be for her to leave that when she returns. Um, but yeah, we'll just have to watch uh, how things develop. Hopefully, it will um, evolve to feel less duplicitous. Yeah, yeah. If they, yeah, if it feels they can't bring her around a little bit in making her feel less two faced, then they need to make sure that Jack calls her out on it because for her to behave towards Jack the way she has, like, oh, you're the one, and then to be like flirting just head over heels with Charles the entire time she's in Hamilton. Like, she's a completely different person. Like, there needs to be a reckoning there. All right. Well, I guess we shall see if the reckoning comes uh, next week when we watch episodes four and five. So stay tuned.